Hello. Hi. How are you doing, Sue? Good. How are you? Great. Good. Glad to hear it. Hi. Yeah. I'm going to get started. <laughs> okay. I'll let it just spit out, and then I'll just go to the intro. <laughs> Great. All right. Um, hi, and welcome to the Birds and Bees podcast. I'm your host, Sue Johnson. I'm a white, cisgendered, able-bodied woman, and this podcast is about giving anyone not part of the heteronormative binary bullshit a forum to discuss their story and, and talk about real aspects of human sexuality. It's time to let the unsung voices be heard without judgment or interruption. Hello, Evan. Hi. <laughs> and my guest today is Evan J. Peterson, and we don't know each other, but um, I know your sister from a book club, from another yes. podcast. <laughs> yep, my, my sister is my biggest fan. So when she heard you were looking for uh, folks to talk on a sex positive podcast, she said, ooh, ooh, my brother wrote a book about prep. <laughs> and not having any idea that... Uh, that is uh, what I do all day. That's my main job is I work in HIV prevention. So awesome. Thank you for joining me. Um, please. Thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> You're in the inaugural guest. So I'm Yay. really excited. And why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Well, hello, TV land. I'm <laughs> Evan J. Peterson. Uh, I am the author of The Prep Diaries, which just went out of print. So if you're hearing this, it's quite possible that I'm looking for the next publisher to pick it up. Um, I also wrote Drag Star, which is the world's first uh, drag performer RPG, which is available from Choice of Games. And uh, in, my, in my day job, I am a fundraising and development coordinator for Clarion West. Uh, that's a nonprofit that uh, supports emerging and underrepresented writers, particularly in sci-fi fantasy and horror. Oh my God, that is so cool. <laughs> it is, I love it. Um, so when we did our pre-interview, I did ask you to describe yourself in, with three words. Um, <laughs> that's never any, been anything that I've been able to do because chat, 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 chat. <laughs> um, but you said you're imaginative, empathetic, and quirky. And I would also say incredibly brave for putting your story out there. You were just naked and open um, in your book, The Prep Diaries, and I loved every minute of it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm quite fond of being naked. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's part of the quirky part. But Absolutely. Brave, thank you. Um, yep. Yeah, and we had just discussed this before. You, your focal point of the story was, hey, I'm a young guy and I like to fuck mm -hmm. and we're going to yeah. talk about that. And these are my experiences. And even though some of the experiences you had were probably not as notable or... <laughs> You, there was no shame in it. You were actually like, you. this has just happened. And this is what I got yeah. out of the experience. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, Sue, I, I really had to just come to terms when I sat down to write it, like, okay, how open am I going to be? 
And I decided I needed to be as open as I could bring myself to be because something that I've heard over and over again in response to my fiction and my poetry was that I, I talk about things that other people think about, but then they don't talk about them. And I have a way of making my readers feel like they're not alone, that they're not having a solitary experience. Um, yeah, so I wanted to, I wanted to bring that into the world. And, you know, I, <laughs> my, my long suffering family, you know, they just, they just roll with it. I try not to talk about them in print. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> um, but you know, your family is super, super supportive, which is amazing. They are. Um, but I had told my family, I was like, You're, you don't really need to listen to this podcast unless you really yeah. want to hear some graphic details about sex. And yeah, I'm going to include myself in it. So <laughs> yeah, I, I told my parents and my godparents, they don't need to read the prep diaries, but they do need to order a copy <laughs> for my book sales. And yes. then my sister, she said she just read through it. You know, she just read through it as though we were not related and I was not her brother. So I love that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, it's just you and you just jump right in and you go for it. And then one of your chapters mm -hmm. is called butt stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love and butt stuff. Love and butt. I'm sorry. Um, and, and I think it's important to you that we recognize that people have sex for many different reasons. Mm -hmm. And some of it just can be because you just want to fuck. Yeah. And it's okay to do that. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I follow the, uh, the Prince approach to sexuality, which is that, well, if God invented it, we might as well do it a lot. <laughs> Someone that can never be replaced. Never, Prince, never, never. He broke the goddamn mold. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. You can emulate Prince, but you know, just like Bowie, we, we will not get another one and we don't need another one. Nope. Who we need is, you know, the next kids coming up like Janelle Monet. Oh, you know, yeah. I, she will not replace Prince, but she will be as big, hopefully. Yeah. And she's, she's her own thing. And oh yeah. And we don't need to understand it. We just need to yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> and even, even, even Lady Gaga, I am not a fan of her music. Mm. I, you know, I find most of it, especially that most recent album, just really trite. Uh, and, you know, to me, Chromatica all sounds basically the same. And like, oh, whoopsie doodle, now she's making Oreos. I was like, oh, great, Oreos. Oreos and music that sounds the same. But I think <laughs> that as a creator, she is a lot more creative and inspired um, in, in all her other ways of expressing herself than necessarily in her music for the last few albums. Although uh, Joanne was great. I, I gotta be honest, I'm not, not a huge pop diva fan, but I will say this about Gaga. She knows her shit. She studies yeah, things. She does. She's very sharp. Yes, she does. When she first broke through, I remember hearing her songs and seeing her video and just thinking, God, this is, this artist is the embodiment 
of the cookie cutter pop star. And then one day I, I realized, oh my gosh, and she is 100% aware of it. Mm-hmm. You know, her first album is just shallow as a contact lens, but, <laughs> but she knows that. And that was the point, you know, and then she starts doing things like Bad Romance and her whole, uh, I'm not gay, but I play one on TV album that followed that one. Yeah. And yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Back to me. <laughs> Speaking of artifice, no. <laughs> how did you go from writing poetry and fiction to saying, you know what, I, it's time for me to tell my own story and mm. be okay with it? I, I had been getting a lot of just encouragement from friends and family about my nonfiction voice. Mm people were saying, you know, you write such good nonfiction. And my nonfiction has been, nonfiction and humor have been more popular than my poetry, than my horror and sci-fi fiction, uh, much of which is available to read online. Yes, your, all your links will be in the show notes so people can Oh, find rock, you. On. <laughs> rock on, rock um, on. But yeah, I, I started, I was looking for a way to... <laughs> to actually make money from my writing, which was not going to happen with poetry. It could happen with, uh, with speculative fiction. But you know, I started doing some journalism and I ended up writing a 5,500 word feature for, for the Seattle Stranger, which is popular way beyond my city. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I think, owned by Dan Savage. Oh. Who of course, has a global following. Um, never met Dan. I hear he's just as big of a bitch in person as he is, <laughs> you know, in his persona. Um, <laughs> so there's there's absolutely no artifice. What you see is what you get with Dan Savage. <laughs> I think so. I think so. You know, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, the I got onto the the freelance staff and I wrote this article and it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And the editor-in-chief at the time, Christopher Frizzell, really supported and encouraged me and I will always be grateful to him. And 5,500 words is a lot of real estate in mm. print. You know, this is a weekly paper we're talking about. Um, so from there, that, that article, um, I did... I did something, I always like to do something that I haven't seen anybody else do before. Sure. You know, um, part of that is me being an overachiever, but uh, I really wanted to write a hybrid of, of investigative journalism and personal, personal essay. Uh, and no one else who was writing about prep in journalism at the time was writing from a personal perspective everyone was interviewing people mm-hmm. on prep as opposed to being on prep and writing about it. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I'm gonna I'm do this the most. And that, that article ended up getting picked up for best gay stories of the year from Lefe Press. And then the editor of Lefe uh, offered me a book deal to expand it into a whole book. That's amazing. Is it? It is. It is. It is. I'm you, so lucky. You, you hit the ground running and you were just like, fuck this. I'm telling everybody my story. Yeah. And because oh, 
not to say that prep has gotten bad press, but it's not given the attention that I think it needs. And absolutely, it hasn't yeah. been. And you know, the, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> to think that there are people, people in the developed Western world who don't know what prep is, <laughs> you know, people who who lived through the AIDS crisis in the 80s and the 90s and beyond for some. Uh, it's just, it's bizarre how many people, and even people in the medical field. I remember oh, telling yeah. nurses and pharmacists and phlebotomists, you know, when I was gathering my research, you know, bringing it up with them when I would, when I would interact with them just at, you know, visits to the doctor, et cetera. And so many people did not know what this was. And that to me just seems bizarre. Yeah. Um, yeah. I um, went to a conference about two years ago and I had some, a nurse practitioner who worked for uh, OBGYN say, yeah, I've never heard of this before. I said, well, it's been approved by the FDA since 2012. Yeah. Um, and she's, she's a gynecological nurse. Yeah, nurse practitioner. That's that she, she could prescribe it. So, God help us all. I know. I know. Yeah. It, um, the really scary thing too is that um, since I work in prevention, I've had um, in the last two weeks, we've had four new positive patients. Mm. And that's a lot for two weeks. They're newly HIV positive and they're all MSM and mm-hmm. they're all um, men of color. And they're all under the age of 27. Wow. Which destroys me utterly that Mm -hmm. you would have to have be, you're just starting your life out. And now all of a sudden you have a lifelong illness. Mm -hmm. Chronic, but it doesn't have to be deadly if you have access to the right meds. If you have Mm -hmm. the money and the, you know, the geographic privilege to have access to the HIV meds, um, it it's not a death sentence for most people, or at least most people uh, who have access. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the COVID pandemic, it, one, of, one of many things we should take away from the COVID pandemic is how the American medical system fails people of color left and right. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's, it's totally a racist system. Mm-hmm. And clearly we're, we're not doing far too many things incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> sorry, it just frustrates me to no end. So, <laughs> me too. you know, I just do my best and do whatever I can do to, you know, as a creator and a writer, this is my biggest, broadest platform to help other people. So I felt like I, I really wanted maybe owed isn't the right word, but I'm going to use it. I felt like I owed it to the world you know, to every queer person, every poor person, every person of color, um, to just write very openly about my personal experience, even though I am white, male, uh, from a middle-class background, American, etc. Yeah. And, but I mean, <laughs> that's part of what the bigger picture is for people who have privilege. Is mm-hmm. to extend that privilege to people and shut the fuck up yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and let them let people share their experience and mm-hmm. um not do that white knight savior bullshit stuff 
<laughs> Oof, busting down the wall like Kool-Aid man saying, yeah. I'm an ally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all know them. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, you live in Washington State, Seattle. I do. What's it like there for um, for for prep? Is it is it out? Is it recognized? Are people having access to it? Is it you have to I, know somebody or? I mean, I don't I don't know where things are currently. Uh, it it had a slow start, but mm-hmm. Seattle is very gay. Seattle is one of the queerest cities in the country. You know, we are right up there with San Francisco and New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are a lot of doctors who are savvy with prep. A lot of queer doctors. Um, you know, we have well, we had an entire LGBT neighborhood, which has since uh, been taken over by the tech sector. Um, uh, we don't need to go into that right now. Gentrification? Um, no. Yeah, but I we mean, the gays already gentrified it from the people of color. So, <laughs> you know, it's not like, <laughs> I mean, turnabout is fair play. Hmm. So, um, where was I? Oh, yeah. So. There, I mean, there's a lot of doctors in the Capitol Hill neighborhood who primarily serve a queer clientele who are savvy in it. Um, but then once you get outside of Seattle and you get to Spokane, mm-hmm. I mean, like there are still gay people in Spokane who don't know about it, who don't know how to get it, etc. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> but I can speak to upstate New York, which is where I live. Um, mm-hmm. Albany's the capital, just in case anybody doesn't know that New York City, Manhattan is not the capital of New York. <laughs> it may be uh, the most densely populated part of New York, but it is not the capital. Oh, um, Manhattan. <laughs> the neighborhood you never have to leave. <laughs> no, you, you can live your life on that island Mm-hmm. for 80 years, never having yeah. to go anywhere else. Um, yeah, you know, God uh, forbid you make a friend in the Bronx or Queens. Oh, no, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, where, fortunately for us, we have, I don't like our governor, but that's like a whole other issue. But I will say this, he was very proactive about ending new diagnosis of HIV in mm-hmm. And the, it was three approaches. It was having more access to HIV testing, giving people who were positive, right away started on ARVs and embracing PrEP. So in 2012, when it was approved by the FDA, New York State was like, come on in, open arms. We're going to give this to everybody. But then mm-hmm. they did this horrible thing where they were like, if you're gay, you're going to eat HIV, you need to take this medication. Oh, you're a junkie. You're disgusting. Take this medication. Oh, you're, you're a prostitute, not even using the word sex workers, like prostitutes need to go on because mm. they bear back all the time. So it didn't really take off the way they wanted it to um, until, yeah, and it really, we had to just do a lot of teaching and explaining and really putting it out there. And thankfully, we cover, you know, Medicaid covers eight, um, PrEP, which is huge. Yes. In Washington, we were the first state to adopt a uh, drug assistance program. That's awesome. And 
Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm a professional writer. I do have a part-time day job. Um, I quit, uh, I quit being an adjunct professor because the pay was so terrible. Mm. Um, and it just was not worth it anymore. Uh, hashtag academia is dead. <laughs> but you know, I, as a, as a working artist, I, my income fluctuates from year to year. Mm. Some years I'm, I'm, poverty class, other years I'm firmly middle class. It just happens. Sure. Um, so I've taken advantage of the PrEP drug assistance program in my state since, since 2014 when I went on the drug. And uh, I think it was January was the first month that they sent me my monthly, my monthly PrEP and it was not Truvada from Gilead. January was the first time I got generic PrEP. And that's great because it means that what I'm getting for free, the state is paying for, and the state is paying hella less than they would be to Gilead Sciences. Yeah. Yeah. There, <laughs> I have mixed feelings about Gilead, but- <laughs> Me too. <laughs> they don't return my calls or emails. Oh, yeah, I was like, I'm writing a book about your product. You should probably get back to me. But, you know, they're all sniffing goofer dust. Oh, my God. Our cor corporate overlords. Mm. <laughs> but they're, they're going to be quaking in their boots because exciting things are happening in prep. Yes. yes. We're hope Knockwood next year will have from Vive, we're going to have injectables that you will only need to get in one injection like every eight to 12 weeks. And they're also coming up with stuff um, for women, like a ring, kind of like a nice, yeah, more like a diaphragm type of, mm -hmm. and, and, and they like also, no, mm -hmm. oh, go ahead. <laughs> all, all joking aside, can you put that in your butt? No, you can't. Okay. Good to know. No. Cause that was the next thing I was going to say is they're working okay. on anal suppositories. Fuck yes. <laughs> it won't be for a while yet, but yes, there is mm -hmm. an anal option. <laughs> Everyone uh, loves an anal option. <laughs> they really you know, do. Like, you know, some people want a leather interior. I want anal. <laughs> and even further out, probably in a good like 10, 15 years, PrEP can be rolled into um, pregnancy prevention and also STI prevention. I would oh. be very curious to see how that's going to work because bacteria like gonorrhea and chlamydia, mm -hmm. they're, they're cousins, right? But then you have syphilis, who's like the redheaded stepchild. So I mm -hmm. would be very interesting to see that. And then, of course, there's yeah. those viral um, STIs, your HPVs mm -hmm. and your herpes, mm -hmm. which you, you can't get an antibiotic for. So, Nope. But you, you can treat them. Yep. And, uh, you know, I... Oh, okay. Choose your words, Evan. Um, <laughs> I... I I'm very glad that Gardasil is now available to men of many ages Yes, because I tried and tried and tried to get affordable Gardasil shots. And I, it wasn't until the, the state DAP program uh, made them, you know, rolled them into the whole HIV prevention uh, package that oh, I was able to get my three Gardasil shots. So you know, I don't, uh, I don't think that I have anything hiding out in my system, but if I do, that'll help with it. Absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. And you're just thinking proactively. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you know, the older I get, the more normalized STIs are, just like any other chronic condition. Um, you know, I, I don't have quite the same approach as many of my uh, sex positive friends. Um, you know, a, a lot of my a lot of my gay friends look at STIs as literally cost of admission to the sex mm-hmm. party. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never approached them like that, uh, but you know, I I definitely take precautions not to contract them. If I do, or if I were to, then you know, it's not you. Know, it doesn't make me gross or dirty or you know, lower my humanity. It's just like anything else, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, we still treat people on crutches and in wheelchairs like they're less human uh, and we should not. But, you know, the the approach to STI is very similar to the approach to disability, Mm -hmm. um, except we we brought it on ourselves or some stupid shit like that. Yeah, I, (laughs) I don't see the backlash with something like smoking, right? You know, causes cancer. My grandmother Mm -hmm. died from lung cancer, but I don't remember anybody coming up to me afterwards and saying she deserved it. She smoked from the time she was 12 until she died. So, you know, Mm -hmm. good riddance. Nope. (laughs) I I mean, I think some people do think that way, but, you know, gladly they didn't you know, no one said that about your grandmother. No, not to my face. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, the, the stigma for HIV, you know, first it was, yeah. we don't want, in the 80s, it was like, we don't want teenagers having access to condoms. Oh my God. <laughs> and then it was, well, only gay people and junkies are getting HIV. So we don't Yeah, do you remember, <laughs> uh, do you remember, have you read about when it was the 4-H disease? Yes, I did. Yes. I, I didn't read Randy Schultz's book, but I did see um, And the Man Played On, um, the movie that came out in, I want to say, the early 90s? Yeah, I, I, I just mentioned in passing how in the early days of, of AIDS, before they discovered HIV, or even, mm-hmm. I, I think this is before they named the condition a- right. AIDS, uh, they, scientists were calling it the 4-H disease yep. and the H's stood for homosexuals, uh, heroin users, hemophiliacs, and Haitians. Right. Like there is so much prejudice there. I can't even stand it. it yeah. It's, you know, it's like something you'd see on South Park where they're making fun right. of systemic prejudice. But yeah. And then to call it grid after that, which mm. really just chaps my ass. Yeah. Yep. And I, I, I really do enjoy comparing, uh, comparing the, the AIDS epidemic to you know, the Edgar Allan Poe story, Mask of the Red Death. You've got these people who are privileged, who isolate themselves from uh, the rest of you know, the less privileged, and the plague is ravaging the countryside. And, you know, the plague gets into their castle anyway, because of course it does. Yeah. Yeah. So this idea of not treating individual demographics for a communicable disease is just absurd. 
Yeah, it only takes and, one time. Right, everybody interacts with everybody. You know, people, even people in Seattle, uh, Seattle pretends to be so woke. Um, <laughs> in January of 2020, um, those of us with our ear to the ground were hearing that businesses in the international district in Chinatown were suffering because people, tourists, but also locals, uh, were afraid to shop in Chinatown for fear of the coronavirus that had broken out in China. And so, you know, a lot of us were like, hey, you know, if you can make sure you go eat in Chinatown, you know, patronize your local businesses. Awajamaya. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, Awajamaya. Yes, I love Awajamaya. <laughs> um, and I mean, that was before it hit the States. And when it did, it wasn't discovered in Chinatown. It was discovered in a mostly white <laughs> retirement home in a different county. And then just to put the final cherry on the shit Sunday that we have, we have going. Yeah. You do talk a lot about uh, being a Truvada whore in your book. Not a lot, but you do mention it. <laughs> and, yes. and I don't, under, I do understand. There's always, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to choose my words, but I'm just going to come out and say it. I, I always it. feel like when there's something new happening in, in a sexual, in the sexual mores of, of our culture, there's always got to be somebody who says there's something wrong with this. So you're taking a preventative and now you're just like, oh, well, you must be a tramp. You must be just fucking everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's why you need this. And, it, and, it, and if you see it, it goes back to when birth control is made available. And they wouldn't give it to um, single women. And then, Mm -hmm. and then it was, I don't remember what it was in the seventies, but (laughs) in the eighties, it was condoms. And then it was trying to teach people in the nineties that anybody can get this disease. Mm -hmm. And then, and then there was a lull and then people stopped carrying. I don't know if it's carrying or remember when everybody was wearing a red ribbon on award shows. And then that slowly disappeared. And then by like year 2000, nobody was wearing a ribbon anymore. You know, there's that, there's that cause fatigue. Yeah. You know, um, AIDS is out. Breast cancer is out. Autism is out. (laughs) COVID's in. Um, (laughs) Way in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But you know, the uh, people like to rally behind something. And when, when a cause is no longer sexy to, to Mm -hmm. fight for or against um, Mm -hmm. it, it peters out. Yeah. And, you know, people, (laughs) the epidemic started, you know, close to 40 years. No, it did start 40 years ago. It did. 1981. 81. Yeah. 81. Uh, So, you know, people, people were just tired of it. And, you know, people who are living with HIV are real tired of having to fundraise, but yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just how things go in and out of vogue. Yeah. It's a shame. And we don't, we're not faced with people dying in the streets the way we were in the 20th century. No. By the year 2000, the meds, if one had access again, 
were a lot better at keeping people alive and looking robust. Yeah. And so. uh, I want to say it was probably around 2005 where they really started having a different array of medications. Like they were really taking the time mm-hmm. to look at people and figure out are, what do you, is there maybe drug resistance and you have a whole just... A, just a just a medley out there now so people yep. are living longer and it's interesting too because we have patients that are well into their almost their late 70s early 80s that got HME and they you know 40 plus years ago um, mm-hmm. and they're thriving still so good. but yeah well, I didn't, oh go there's ahead. that there's that whole thing there's that whole thing about uh the elderly contracting HIV at very mm-hmm. high rates because they don't think they'll get it And, you know, some of those retirement homes, some of those retirement communities are, there's a lot of polyamory, you know, people's, people's lifelong partners have passed away and they want to have girlfriends, boyfriends, et cetera. And there's a lot of partner swapping because, you know, when you get to be that age, it's like, well, why not? Yeah. And with Viagra, you know. Somebody's yeah. lucky enough to get Viagra at age 78, and <laughs> they're going to be very popular. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a whole thing. Yeah. Oh, can we, can we go back to the hashtag Truvada horror? Sure. Absolutely. Phenomenon? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so th- what, what really sunk in for me when I was interviewing uh, all my sources was that like, I knew prep wasn't going to make people promiscuous you know it's not it doesn't rewire your brain uh but people were already promiscuous and having unprotected sex or intermittent uh condom and condomless sex right so you know prep prep is only a good thing prep does not encourage promiscuity people who are already promiscuous take it so that they're not contracting or infecting others with hiv it's just you're being proactive about your health. You mm-hmm. care enough about your health to not want to risk getting HIV or giving it to somebody else. And yes. yeah, it just it really saddened me that people within the own LGBTQ community were like very anti-prep and and judging people, their peers. But that uh, seems to have well from from where I, I am in my community it seems to have slowed down i'm not um what's it like in seattle i mean uh, nobody hates like a hypocrite (laughs) you know and by 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 pointing our disgust and derision at others we we give ourselves a reprieve from taking out our own trash so you know whenever i feel tempted to criticize others, I just remember like clean up my own backyard. <laughs> you know, trying to trying to fix or control other people is such a subliminal way to avoid our own problems. Sure, sure. Um, I I personally love it when people are very out and boisterous and will wear T-shirts that say hashtag Truvada War. I'm like, good for you. Yeah. Yeah, just shove it in people's faces. Because Absolutely. <laughs> um, one thing I, I'm really interested in your book was the chapter about 
if Dorian Corey and um, yeah. <laughs> Freddie Mercury and uh-huh. Klaus Nomi were still alive. I just love that. And I really think that did tap into that, a mixture of your imagination, your empathy and your quirkiness. And I was reading that chapter Thank and it really, it, it, it made me very um, nostalgic and very emotional. Yeah. Yeah. What would the world be like if Lee Bowery was still alive or Michel Foucault? You know, these, these powerhouses of uh, cultural thought and change, what would it have been like if they were still with us? I can't even imagine. And, and yeah. I'm glad that you put Klaus Snowmi in here because mm-hmm. I feel like people don't know who he is and he's so amazing. And okay. please check him out on YouTube. Um, I, you can watch actually the documentary about him on YouTube for free, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which I've done a few times. Uh, for those not in the know, he was an amazing singer in the no wave, new wave scene in New York. Um, and he was originally from Germany and he died alone in an isolation room in Sloan Kettering hospital. He had Carposi sarcoma all over him mm-hmm. and he, he had died from a pneumonia. He, he stopped breathing and he was all alone. And that just, I believe he was 30. He was in his thirties. He was one of the first waves of people to die from mm-hmm. HIV in New York city, like in 1983. And, that and just, ugh. yeah, him dying alone in isolation of pneumonia is, has happened to hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. 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 Just in the last year. So, you know, I, I don't mean, like, I think that we can focus on the individual when we want to build empathy. It's easier to focus on an individual than it is to focus on statistics. Because when half a million Americans are dead, it can be hard to conceive. Uh, and, you know, instead to think about a brilliant artist dying alone in a hospital because no one will come near them. That That's unfortunately a lot more powerful than the image of numbers on CNN. And it's a sobering thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Half a million Americans yeah. in a and year. Then, <sighs> and, and to think that I, I feel like to, you know, what's gonna happen I've seen it. I think our rates of HIV infection are going to go up because people got fatigue from COVID and isolation and quarantining. So we're going to see an explosion. We've already had um, a huge um, uptick in gonorrhea and syphilis in the Albany area. I bet. You know, I don't. And it's all been throat and rectal. Actually. Interesting. Yeah, it's lots of throat gonorrhea, <laughs> which yeah. just FYI, you don't necessarily have symptoms for that, so it's just good mm-hmm. to get checked out. I always get a throat swab when I when I go in for my quarterlies. You know? Yay! You're yeah. lucky. You're lucky because not a lot of providers will do that. They're very uncomfortable. They're just like here, pee in a cup. Well, uh, you know what? <laughs> um, statistically, you can miss up to twenty five percent of gonorrhea and chlamydia, either rectally or in the throat. Mm-hmm. Again, the, the medical community is failing minorities. Oh, yeah, and I've had providers, I do education, 
mm-hmm. in the state. And I've had providers tell me, you know what? I just don't have time. I, you know, I got to see 16 patients. I'm like, how hard is it to swap? You don't even do the throat swab. The nurse does that. Mm-hmm. And, and patients can use their own self-swabbing, whether it's vaginally mm-hmm. now. It's very easy yeah. to do. Yeah. And much more comfortable, pleasant experience for the patient. I always swab myself. I never want someone else to swab me. First of all, weirdly intimate. <laughs> Secondly, you know, uh, it just like, if I'm doing something uncomfortable to myself, it's, it's less anxiety producing. Um, I did relent and start letting uh, medical staff do my COVID test. Mm. I did the first one myself and that was horrible. And then I was like, you know what? I just want to let them do it because they'll probably be quicker and more accurate. So. And and literally takes maybe half a second to do. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is less unpleasant than, than getting my blood drawn and tested. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you actually get better results if you self swab because you're not as nervous. Well, for, for STIs or also yeah, for, well, for, for STIs, okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, same principle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can get a cotton swab way further down my throat than a nurse can. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love all your mentions of horror movies in your book. I'm a horror fanatic, <laughs> fanatic. It's, it's interesting that my two most noteworthy uh, projects so far are nonfiction about sexual health and uh, an RPG about drag queens and drag kings. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I am so, so enamored of the horror genre. Was that from when you were a child or did you suddenly like yeah. I always loved monsters. And even now, you know, like, if there's a movie where you don't see the monster, such as uh, the Paranormal Activity movies or Blair Witch, or if it's a person inflicting uh, torment on other humans, you know, these movies are not, not movies that I need to see. You know, I need to see the latest installment in the Alien franchise. Mm-hmm. And I need to see the werewolf movies and the, you know, the squishy cosmic horrors. These are what I need in my life. I, I'm, I actually am a later in life horror fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was watched Poltergeist and it scarred me for a life. Of course, I was six, which. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, Poltergeist is terrifying for children. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it flipped the genre because, you know, when you think of a horror film, you think of an isolated, scary place where everything is happening at night where this was the suburbs and all this terrifying mm-hmm. shit was happening during the day. Yes. And um, I mean, the, the late seventies and early eighties were the time when, when uh, very, it would directors who had been taken very seriously, who were not genre directors at first, mm-hmm. they, people like William Friedkin, Steven Spielberg um, were, were making horror movies uh, and Spielberg did Jaws, right? Yes, he did. Yes. Yes. And oh, and Poltergeist was made by Toby Hooper, who I mean, he's he started with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so he's firmly mm-hmm. embedded in the horror genre. But 
yeah, it it really brought a a just it it brought the genre to be taken more seriously. Yeah, and if you just to bring it back to a queer perspective, if I may, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you think about um, Gods and Monsters, I can't remember who Ian McClellan was playing. Was, oh, oh, he he played he played James Whale, director James Whale. of Frankenstein. Yes, who, and Bride of Frankenstein. Yes, and God bless Ian McKellen. Mm. Right, he just that man is just unapologetically unapologetically himself, and we love him for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and then, I, and if you think about um, the Carmilla and the vampire lovers, and mm. <laughs> oh, horror's always been queer. Yeah, it totally has. He, yeah, people are afraid of queer people, and queer people tend to, we do tend to be very attracted to horror. Not all of us, of course, that's a broad blanket, but you know, I know a lot of horror queers, and it's the outsider thing. In horror, the monsters often win. Yeah, and, and we have the straight people who are scared. They're yes. going to get infected yes. by the monster. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, seeing all those straight bodies be compromised and shattered is is a beautiful thing. Yeah, and I just I just love the well the male vampire. You never see him bite on a one uh, a man, another man, very rarely, especially in the older flicks. Mm-hmm. But then you'll definitely see two women. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which then then that. Yeah, leads mm-hmm. into other stuff, but yeah. Um, yeah, because that's what men want to see, and you know, men biting each other is what men don't want to see. Exactly. Um. <laughs> straight yeah. men, mainstream straight men. Yeah, and then, uh, but then, if you think about it, Tom Cruise firmly in the closet, obviously, <laughs> and when he was the vampire Lestat in the Anne Rice movie, yeah. <laughs> You can't help but think about the irony behind that. Really biting men, children. Uh huh. <laughs> and and Brad Pitt, like the two of the two of them necking in that movie is is glorious. I know. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh. the, There's so and, many things wrong with that film, but that was well, and then, just perfect. Then they adopt a kid together. I know. It's just wonderful. And Anne Rice, of course, knew what she was doing. They're supposed to be a same-sex couple. Yeah. That was always part of it. Always yeah. part of it. Yeah. She, she's fascinating. And... She is. Um, she, um, for those out in, in podcast land who don't know, so Anne Rice uh, went back to Catholicism yes. later in life and was writing, was writing about the years of Jesus's life that are not in uh, the standard Bible. Whoa. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess between 18 and 33 is, yes. are the ages we don't see Jesus in the Bible. I don't know. I was raised, yeah. I was raised half Jewish and half wolf. So <laughs> I, an all man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, she, she then left the Catholic church again, uh, over their treatment of queer people. Her oh, son is gay. Yes. So many of her friends and fans are gay or trans or bi, etc. And you know, uh, I mean, she had been writing queer fiction for decades. And so. BDSM as well. She's yes, a big yes, part of the kink too. community. 
Yes. Highly, highly recommend the Sleeping Beauty series. Mm. That's one I I haven't read from her. I heard Um, that when I was 14. I probably should now. I mean, I read Exit to Eden at about that age. And I was like, oh. oh my God, I totally forgot she wrote that book. Yes. Exit <laughs> to Eden's fantastic. Not um, the movie. <laughs> no, 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 no. There are, there, are no, there are no jewel thieves or bungling cops in the book. That was all added for marketing. Because <laughs> you can't just have Dana Delaney whipping, uh, what's that hot Australian guy's name? Not from- Guy Pierce. No, no, the um, other guy from Strictly Ballroom. I don't remember his You name. know what? It doesn't matter. Yeah. And um, I'm not even going to Google it. I don't care. <laughs> but yeah, that yeah. man was smoking hot. <laughs> yeah. And, and in, the, in the book, he is very much bisexual. She orders him to fuck another man, and he does it with gusto. I am going to have to put that on my queue. Uh, to read oh it's, it's good it's good <laughs> you know and it's it's something that i still don't think exists which is you know there's this magical fuck island where <laughs> where, where people uh people go and they assume roles of masters or slaves depending on their own preference and so you know you've got people of privilege who are voluntarily becoming slave staff on the island um it's just it's just gorgeous okay i mean i might remember it a bit too nostalgically now that i've been through grad school if i went back (laughs) and read it i'd be like oh okay racist racist misogynist classist okay a lot of white people in these books (laughs) yeah although i don't i think a lot of times uh some characters aren't raced you know i like to have a mix of raced and unraced characters in my stories I don't know if you've seen, um, <laughs> I have all of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. <laughs> I found a DVD at Target for five bucks. But the the second, the sequel to the Nightmare on Elm Street is very queer and oh, openly oh, so. The writer- Classically so. Yes, yes the writer, the yes. director, and the um, male protagonists are all gay. Yeah, and it ruined his career. Yeah. Well, I mean, other people ruined his career. Uh, and have you have you seen Scream, comma Queen? No, I haven't. It's a documentary about Mark Patton <gasps> and what happened to him after uh, Nightmare on Elm Street came out, and his lover that he was living with, I think, died of HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the the studio and the people behind it disowned the picture. And they, a lot of people blamed Mark Patton for Mark Patton for making the character too gay, when clearly, clearly he is not the only person in on it. You gay? I don't understand the too gay. That is just some coded bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, at what point? At what point didn't the director say, "Hey, Mark"? Could you could you play this a little more masculine? <laughs> <laughs> I suggest anybody who's listening to this, please watch it. It is so good. Freddie's only in mm-hmm. it for like 10 minutes. Yeah. But just the struggle that you see the protagonists go through oh. is just amazing. And his little sexy dance at the beginning of the film and yes. things are hitting him in the ass. <laughs> uh, you know, 
<laughs> I was I was I was tickled to see that um, one of my favorite pop stars, Bright Light, Bright Light, Rod Thomas. He uh, he did he did a, a series of EPs called uh, S- Cinematography. This was after he released his album Choreography. He did the Cinematography series, and he would cover different film themes, and he totally covers that song that Mark Patton is dancing to in his bedroom in Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Okay, I have to find out more about this Mm -hmm. because that is glorious. Hold me, touch me all night long. (laughs) I love that. Okay, Sue, I, it's almost, uh, it's been almost an hour that we're talking, but I don't want to leave without anything juicy unsaid. So is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, okay. Yeah, no, just to dig a little deeper. Uh, (laughs) Dig as deep as you want to, my friend. Are you coupled? Are you looking? Are you settled? Thank you. Um, (laughs) I am currently dating someone. Uh So I don't think we're at the point of saying coupled quite yet, but Mm -hmm. that appears to be where it's going. Um, Yeah, I mean, who knows? But yeah, I am seeing someone really special and uh, I would love to stick with him for a long time. Lovely. Are you pro-monogamy or not so much? Uh, I'm pro whatever people want for themselves. Okay. I like the idea of monogamy for myself Mm -hmm. um, to each their own. Mm -hmm. I think I think I am just too fucking busy to have more than one boyfriend. Right. You know, like that just seems like a lot of <laughs> of putting out emotionally. Um, you read but, my mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, <laughs> you know, polyamory for me is just exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, I, I I questioned monogamy when I was younger and in a different headspace. And I thought, it's just, I know who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. I'm an air sign. I'm a Libra. Yes, I believe in that shit. Mm. I don't know why. I was raised Catholic, so maybe it's that feeling of taboo. <laughs> and and I'm, a, I'm a Pisces, so I want to I wanna sleep with everybody. Yeah. And just, and you're the most chill sign, too. You're just like, I'm going to swim here, and it's going to be yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I really did was like maybe monogamy is not our natural state but then i was like i can't invest in too much emotional stuff with it's hard enough to balance my relationship now but to add other people in the mix i'm just like that sounds exhausting (laughs) yeah i i think at this point i mean uh, you know sexuality grows it waxes and wanes it's very fluid even for men um we have this idea that women's sexuality is changeable and men is men's is fixed. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I'm at a point right now where I like the idea of monogamish where, you know, two people are only with one another, but you know, you occasionally pick up a friend for a three-way just to just to keep things hot and interesting. Totally. I'm down with that. Yeah, as long as you're open and honest. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah what what drives me crazy is when people in non-monogamous relationships cheat. It's such a cliche. Yeah, like you, you, you have that freedom to fuck other people 
why would you do it behind your lover's back? Why? Why would you do that? Yeah. I, I, you know what, from what I've seen, I'm not personally, um, in an open relationship, uh, it's just the way I was hardwired and I'm, there you go. I'm glad people can be in multiple relationships, but mm-hmm. anytime I've seen somebody cheat or heard about it, it's always a straight white guy who ends up falling in love <laughs> with a very fluid woman who then ends mm. up leaving them as well. So then they open up with nobody and I have to laugh just because ha 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 on <laughs> straight white men. <laughs> you know, some some folks just are not wired for monogamy. No, they're and not. So, you know, I think I think the real, you know, if I may use this loaded term, I think the real sin is deceiving your partner, um, breaking your partner's trust, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, if you are a person who doesn't like monogamy, I think you need to put that on the table, like date one or two. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to sh- know on date one if, what this person's down for. Yeah. And I, I think with younger generations, that is going to be, it's going to be so much easier for the kids coming up. Oh my God, Gen Z. I don't like, I don't even, I don't even know what they're going to do to gender and sexuality next. It's going to be delightful. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be just a big buffet, I think. <laughs> and and I just, you know, if I have any wisdom to give uh, younger queer people it is that light-skinned people should not wear a dark lip. <laughs> I love you know, that. be as genderqueer as you want, but for God's sake, if you're pale, don't wear a blue lip. Jesus, <laughs> it looks terrible. It does. Leave that for your darker-skinned friends. <laughs> blue and purple lipstick are for the highly melanated. And if you have, if you're blonde and a toehead, mm-hmm. you can't pull off the magenta. It makes you look sallow. Mm-hmm. Also, <laughs> uh, if you're going to dye your hair mm-hmm. an unnatural color, yep. don't dye your eyebrows to match. No, I don't Big like no, that no. either. You will look like a party clown. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Evan, for joining you're me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Sue. It's my... It is my deep honor to be a guest here and to kick off your podcast. You broke me in gentle. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> you know? if, um, let people have a chance to know where they can find you and yes. your work. Well, uh, m- most things that I've written that are available online are linked via my website, evanjpeterson.com. And that's just letter J, my middle initial. Um, and then... I, I have a pretty cohesive brand. Twitter is at Evan J. Peterson. Mm-hmm. And uh, my Insta is evan.j.peterson. Uh, my, my, my naughty uh, mm. NSFW Instagram uh, is <gasps> at FagPlanetX. You have a secret naughty. Hat. You know, I, it was a Finsta <laughs> at first when I was teaching. Because, uh-huh. you know, I... Being in academia, you need to watch what you say and mm. where. Yeah. So, you know, if I wanted to repost a meme or something that I knew was bordering on prejudiced, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to have, you know, anonymity here. Mm-hmm. Or even something that is like wildly sexually explicit. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and I don't like, I try to be very careful what I put out into the world. Mm -hmm. I don't want to spread misogyny or homophobia, transphobia, racism, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes I find a meme and I'm like, that's fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I will be putting a link to everywhere you can find Evan J. Peterson. Thank and, you. Um, and thank you for joining us. And please like rate, review, feedback helps us get better. Um, we want the birds and the bees podcast to succeed. Um, and you can, if you uh, are interested in telling your own story or giving me feedback, don't say I have an annoying voice. I know I do. There's nothing I can do to change that, but there'll be other things that I can change. You can I don't email. think you have an annoying voice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Whoever tells you you have an annoying voice is a dick. <laughs> <laughs> a mean spirited dick. Not yeah. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I've, I've been interviewed by people with far, far more irritating voices than yours. Thank you. Um, but that's but not my place, you know? More power to them. <laughs> you can email me at birdsandbeespod at gmail.com or follow me on Instagram at birdsandbeespod. Um, Ooh, following right now. Thank you. Um, welcome. <laughs> and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for sharing your story. And you are amazing. And... Uh, you are amazing. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for doing the thanks for doing the good work to keep people healthy. Thank you. Um, and I would, yeah, honestly, um, again, I wouldn't be here if I didn't have the strength and support from people in the LGBTQ community, um, and that includes everybody who disables um, mental ill uh, people yeah. managing mental health illnesses. Um, yeah, yeah. Or we're all the outsiders are in this together. <laughs> yeah, and and really. Most of us are outsiders. I just did like two panels at a con about uh, diversity and disability in horror. Mm. And, you know, I'm thinking most people are atypical, which means no one's atypical. Right. Yeah, you know, this is just something I'm cooking, you know, just something I'm, I'm marinating on at the time being. But yeah, there, there are far more of us than there are of them. Yeah. They lie and they lie unto you. Yeah. And well, I mean, we don't have money or, or cachet. So that's why we're on the outside and not running things. <laughs> but not to leave it on a down note. So <laughs> well, wash your hands. Yes. Don't let anybody cough on you. Yeah. Be kind to each other. Wear your mask and yeah. uh, leave the world in a better place than you found it. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you, you have Sue. a great evening. You too. Uh, I will talk soon. Take care. Perfect. All right, bye. <laughs> bye.